To the Renaissance, episode 45. Mm-hmm. My name is Cameron Riley, and with me as always is the boy in the bubble, <laughs> Ray Harris. How are you today, bubble boy? Um, fine, fine. Bubble's fine. We're all fine here. Thanks for asking. Um... I'm being somber because uh, at the end of the last episode, we we talked about how Papa Joe, Giovanni de Bici de Medici, uh, had, had to some degree helped introduce a new taxation system, the uh, Castato tax, where they taxed your entire asset base, Mm. not just your income, in order to help pay for this crazy (laughs) five-year-long war with Milan that went from 1422 to 1427. Yeah. Now, that's very unpopular with the elite in Florence, this new tax, because it's going to cost them dearly. It's going to cost the Medici as well. But as I said last time, their business is going gangbusters now that they finally cracked into the uh, papal banking uh, uh, deal again. So they can probably withstand the new taxation system better than some of their rivals yeah. in Florence. Um, but Papa Joe, I wanted to point out that he also was known for his compassionate side. There's this great story that his disgraced former manager of the Venice branch of the Medici Bank, mm-hmm. Torna Quinci, mm-hmm. remember this guy, he loaned money to Germans, <laughs> even ever. though that was against the rules. Right. Don't do that. Then the Germans fucked off, <laughs> and then he chased them. He did. He chased him across Europe Bloodhound. to get the money back. His middle name was Bloodhound. And then when he, yeah, then when he when he caught them, he was like, oh, "Fucking, I'm here now. I'm not <laughs> I'm going too back. Tired. It's yeah, too tired. I'm probably going to get probably going to get whipped anyway <laughs> when I go back. So, but then uh, Papa Joe, many many years later, heard yeah. that Torna Quinci was living in abject poverty. Aww. Apparently, it didn't go well for oh, right, him. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He had this great idea in fourteen twenty. Right. He's like, you know what, banking, schmanking. I am going to invent podcasting, and uh, within ten Chair, years, table on the bones of his microphone. Ass, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Not even a microphone. He couldn't even afford that. He's just Aww. just yelling out the window. People, what are you doing? Oh, it's a podcast. I'm podcasting. How do I download it? He just, <laughs> just listen. Stand outside. Right. <laughs> Come back next week for the next pop- episode. Anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was trying to do my Jerry. Stamps.com. <laughs> if you need to send something. Stamps.com. It's really great. People are like, what's a dot com? I don't know. They just told me I'm reading a script. I got to say. I don't know what it is. And don't forget Harry's. Shave with Harry's. <laughs> Harry's, yeah. Uh, oh, 
Where were we? Anyway, when Joe heard that he was uh, <laughs> living in abject poverty, he sent him 36 florins. Nice. And apparently acts of kindness like this, compassion, was uh, something that Papa Joe was known for, but he kept it discreet. Yes. Um, just like Ray, he didn't want people to know he was just a big softie. Right. He, you know, hard, hard banker exterior right. underneath, big yeah. softie. Yeah. Couldn't get it up. Just all <laughs> no. soft. What? No, no. That's not what I meant. You said you could keep a secret. You obviously can't. No, but yeah, but so he, so again, you would think he would want to tout that, but I, I don't know if that was a political decision or just that was the way he was built. But yeah, doing nice things for people and, and, and not making a big deal about it. Just going on with his life. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. But in 1428... Just after he introduced or helped introduce the Castato system, he was 68 years old and he fell ill. Right. And he knew that he was dying. So from his deathbed, he summoned his two sons, Cosimo and Lorenzo, to his bedside. And according to Medici legend, he said to them, two the strongest. <laughs> and that set off a hundred years of wars between the Medici. The two brothers pulled out their swords and started fighting right over their father's corpse. Yeah. That's badass. That's badass. <laughs> no, he did have some very good advice uh, for his sons. Uh, you want to read some of his uh, wisdom? Sure. Now, yeah, this is according to Machiavelli, so who knows, but he says... Never hang around the Palazzo della Signoria as if it is the place where you do business. Only go there when you are summoned and only accept the offices which are bestowed upon you. You want to do it in the Godfather voice? No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Never make a show before the people, but if this is unavoidable, let it be the least necessary. Keep out of the public gaze. Never go against the will of the people. Never talk about family business outside of the family. Never, you know, never get involved in drugs. That's right. <laughs> never, unless... Yeah, so, no, he never said all that. That's bullshit. He said, never go against the will of the people unless they are advocating some disastrous project. Yeah. Be inoffensive. Be inoffensive to the rich and the strong, but constantly be charitable to the poor and the weak. Do not appear to give advice, but put your views forward discreetly in conversation. Avoid litigation and political controversy, and always keep out of the public eye. Keep your friends close <laughs> and your enemies closer. And I never thought, I never thought. Sonny was a good Don. I thought Tom was a good conciliary, but uh, never thought that Sonny was a uh, good Don. But, uh, <laughs> and say to your wife, you can ask me one time about my, fan, about my business. And then after that, slap her if she asked you anything. Or shut the door in her face. But if something, some unfortunate accident should befell my son... I will hold people in this room responsible. Oh, shit. Hmm. That was scary. That was a scary <laughs> scene when he said that. 
No, it wasn't, because they're like, fuck you, what are you going to do? <laughs> We're the heads of the five families. What could ever happen to us? <laughs> We're untouchable. 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 Yeah. And then they were touched yeah. later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, and not in a George Pell kind of way. <laughs> oh, my God. Because now, boom, we could talk about that. But the point I just want to make is with, even though that those probably weren't his exact words, but it was advice like that. It was that approach to business and, and life that Giovanni, over the decades, had built up a subtle power base. So he's been working on his image with the um, with the construction projects. He's been helping out the poor, but with with stuff with advice like that, he has accumulated power and wealth, and he is still in, for, in some ways under the radar. This is very solid advice. Don't strike until you're absolutely ready to strike. I'm not sure he's completely under the radar. I mean, no, he's got just, golden spurs, but he's and still all that going through the stuff, motions. But he's, he's just going through the motions. Yeah, yeah. He's downplaying their right. wealth and power to avoid being targeted right. as a threat and that's smart. to yeah. the oligarch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very, very smart. Lived his whole life um, playing, uh, playing this game of, of, of appearing humble and simple even as he built up this incredible yeah. wealth. And, In fact, by yeah. the time he died... Mm-hmm. I, so I was just going to say, by the time he died, I think the Medici were the richest family in Florence. But still, yeah. he wasn't making a big show of it. Very Warren Buffett-esque. Right. Ah, listen, you know, yeah. I don't need much. Simple man, yeah. simple needs. Yeah. But see, even like that, I mean, think about the clothes he could have been wearing, the house he could have been in, the servants, the retinue. He could he could have done it all and it still would have dented his pocketbooks, but he, but he didn't do it. But the point is, even he was, that was the way he was, even until the end of his life, because he tells his sons, bury me quietly. I don't want a big, a lot of show. I don't want fireworks or whatever. Just put me away quietly and, you know, heed the words that I have given you. Yeah, just... Drop me in the garbage <laughs> compactor. Don't even need a no. coffin. It's just, it's, yeah, you know. Turn it on. Throw me in the fireplace. Right. I'll be right. Don't need any. No, don't make a big fuss. And my ashes, put my ashes in a coffee can above the fireplace. That's fine. Nah, don't even do that. Just don't smoke even do that. Like, uh, <laughs> just snort them. Smoke, smoke your dad. Like I want you to smoke Keith me. Richards. Keith <laughs> Like Keith Richards did to his dad's ashes. Just oh my god! Slaughter, man. Oh my god! Get it, get it in you. <laughs> my dad's with me. Now well, he's with me. Yeah. I think I think in Keith Richards' autobiography, which I read a few, quite a few years ago uh, when it first came out, which if you haven't read it, it's fucking great. Um, I I can't exactly remember what he said about that story, but I think he said, "Yeah, may I look honestly? I can't remember anything <laughs> that happened in the seventies, so I maybe have. I did. Maybe I did. Maybe I, I could have. That sounds like that's it. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> sounds like something I would have done. I started somebody. Sure I'm if sure I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started somebody. I just I hope it was my father because I miss him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh my god! <laughs> that sounds like something I would have done, but quite honestly, I was so fuck, fucked up that entire. But he could play the guitar. I, I really... He could be messed up oh, and just well, still. I mean, yes, I don't know. Only on Tuesdays he could play the guitar. <laughs> yeah, only on Tuesdays. Uh, we got to play now. Yeah, Mick, 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 Mick had to like have a team of people basically hold him down cold turkey, so he'd go cold turkey for a week. 
play. Then he'd just like then- ch- chain him up, wheel him into the studio <laughs> so he could play, and then he'd let him go. Oh my god! What a life. Anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, uh, Papa Joe's last request for a simple burial didn't didn't go as <laughs> planned. Um, now. You know, some sources say the people wouldn't have it. He was too beloved right. by the people. Uh, he took their side over many decades on their issues. Right. He, he renovated the, the San Lorenzo church. He built the hospital for the orphanage. Right. Did all this stuff for them, and they they demanded that he have a big right. send-off. Maybe, though, uh, Cosy. Just decided, well, I'm the new regime now, yeah. and it's time time to make a bit of a public display. But we have to give the right spin Yo. to the public display. It's not going to be a funeral that's a display of our power and wealth. Right. It's going to be a, a show of affection by a grateful people, the, the Populo Minuto, right. for... Uh, one of their leading citizens who who did a lot for them over his lifetime, um, who has passed away. So maybe like Caesar's funeral, it did take on a life of its own. We'll ne- we'll never really know. But the point is, this is going to not go the way Giovanni would have wanted it. Um, but there, before he can even leave the house, there is a tradition that is said to go back to the Etruscans, even before the Romans. And I hope, certainly hope they do this to me and Cam. I'm, I'm ready to do it for you at any time. When the head of the family dies, a hole has to be knocked into the wall of his house and the body carried through that hole. And only then you place it in the coffin at the head of a funeral procession. So, yeah, you, you do that because that's, that's going back to antiquity. So that's nice. But w- when we get to the part part of the funeral procession, that's where things do not go according to Giovanni's wishes. You know who was behind this uh, this tradition? It was the bricklayers, the brickies. <laughs> oh, no. Cui bono, baby. Cui bono. Yeah, you got it. You got to do the hole in the wall. That's, yeah. well, what are we, that's, that's half of our income. <laughs> Re- then, refixing holes in walls. Re-brick it and put it like a frame or, or some kind of altar around the hole, the filled in wall. But yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. That's brilliant on their part. Oh, Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Barry and Stan came up with that idea. They the the bigger union make a bigger hole. Yeah, they well they engaged Barry and Stan at some point. They said, look, how do we how do we get more business? They said, well, what we should do is say that whenever the head of a family dies, you have to knock a hole in the wall. Like people won't go for that. Oh, mate, they go for virgin birth. They'll yeah. go for anything. <laughs> Tell them it was the Etruscans. The fucking we came up with the virgin birth. By the way, yeah, that was that us. was that was TM. that was us. Virgin yeah. birth, TM. Yeah. yeah, Mary engaged us. Uh, you know, she was betrothed to Joseph. Right. Hey, hey, I'm knocked up. And, and then right. she gets knocked up. And <laughs> she's like, and right. she hasn't had sex with Joseph. She's like, oh, this is not going to, this is awkward. not going to go well. Uh, how do Very I? awkward. Yeah. And, you know, this, uh, this uh, uh, was- Roman centurion had been seen <laughs> right? sneaking out. Right, with uh, a smile on his face. Yeah. Now um, I had heard that the first time you can't get pregnant. Turns out that's not true. So help me out. <laughs> this here. Roman Roman centurion biggest dickus had been seen. <laughs> Joseph was like, wasn't that big as he, Joseph getting home from work out in the fields one day and he sees the tent tent no. flap part 
Biggest Dickus comes walking out. He's like, oh, oh, hi. 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 Yes, he goes, Mary, what was Biggest Dickus doing here? She goes, what? Biggest Dickus. What are you talking about? I don't know. Biggest Dickus. I just saw him leaving. Oh, Biggest Dickus. Yeah, listen, he was just helping me. I couldn't reach something on the top shelf. and He was, you know, kissing me on the forehead above my veil. And that was it. That and was she was it. like, so she, she goes, pulls out the uh, 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 Galilean version of the Yellow Pages. It's <laughs> <laughs> up, you know. She's going to call Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul, she was looking for. <laughs> right. And then she saw, you know, Barry and Stan, and she was and like, was well, maybe I'll give them a go. There was a coupon. Brings them in, and they go, right. oh, we can spin this. Don't oh, you yeah. worry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've been looking for an opportunity like this, quite frankly, for a long time because we've got right? this idea yeah. that we could package it up in a way. Perfect opportunity. Perfect, yeah. And the rest is history. So uh, the, this funeral procession marches through the streets followed by two dozen members of the Medici family. Right. Um, and behind them in order of importance, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like foreign ambassadors who are residing in the city, right. followed by the gonfalonieri and the members of the signoria, followed by the representatives of the guilds, etc., etc. So there's this big fucking yeah. parade uh, with the yeah. corpse. Now, Cosimo may have intended this to be a subtle send-off, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, people watching this massive procession of the elite of the elite following behind the body understood what was going on. The Medici have arrived. And Papa Joe left Cosi, the largest fortune, not just in Florence, but in all of Tuscany. (laughs) 179,221 florins. Oh my god. Oh, I would Roughly I'm sorry. 90 million dollars using a $500 metric. I would have bought an island and just send me a new, you know, virgin once a week. I don't know. I know that sounds horrible, but I would have bought an island and chillaxed. But not this guy because it's sound horrible, and it sounds yeah. horrible. And for the wrong reason, like who wants to have sex with a virgin? That's true. I don't That's think. True. I, I'm tired I of showing you. I think I've, I've right. never had sex with a virgin, and I'm quite proud of it. I would go out no. of my way, not to have sex with virgins. Right. You ain't got time. Uh, you haven't got the time. Oh, that's so much. Why? Where is the upside <laughs> in having sex with a virgin? <laughs> I don't understand it. Give me somebody who knows what they're doing, please. <laughs> well, don't, I don't, oh, they yeah. go, oh, you go to heaven if you're a good Muslim jihadist. You, go to, you get uh, 70 virgins. Fucking right. why? <laughs> what? Right. Why? No, give me 70 dirty, You'd slutty sp- little Catholic girls. <laughs> and, you know. God. You'd spend more time talking nasty. than fucking. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Ah, just- give me some nasty bitches. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> You're like, yeah. Girls going, you know, how about I lick her while you take me from behind and put a dog collar on me? And, you know, I'll, I'll wear my strap on. I'm going, whoa, whoa, hold on. You can do her with the strap on, but don't come near me with that thing. Like, 
Okay. Like, <laughs> so all right. All right. right let's now. do it. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Give me something one, to bite down on. One, <laughs> one time. And, and just one slowly, more slowly. time. Okay, just one. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Papa Joe yes. leaves Cosimo the largest fortune in all of time. Now, keep in mind that we said <sighs> some time ago that, that 200 florins was enough for a, a, a wealthy gentleman to live on mm-hmm. for a year. With, with, a, with, a, yeah. with a very nice villa and servants and the whole deal. Yeah. So yeah. that's 200. This is 180,000 florins. So Cosimo is motherfucking rich <laughs> to the max. <laughs> so hats off to Papa Joe. And yeah. you've got to hand it to Cosimo as well because, you know, getting the papal banking business, as we will see, because um, we're going to do a bit of a bio on Cosimo now, an early bio. Uh, had a lot to do with him as well, uh, not just Absolutely. Papa Joe. So he he right. he earned this. So let's talk a little bit about Cosimo's life up to this point. His full name is Cosimo di Giovanni di Medici, mm-hmm. the di Giovanni, the son of Giovanni, born in thirteen eighty nine. Not much is known about his early life except that he was very close to his younger brother, Lorenzo, and they were both educated at a monastery school, Santa Maria degli Angeli, 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 uh, the mm-hmm. St. Mary of the Angels school. Aww. It belonged to the Camaldolese congregation, a reformed branch of the Benedictines. It had been founded in 1012 by Damn. the hermit St. Romuald. Uh, near Arezzo. Um, very little of the original building exists today, but it is still there. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it was known in Cosimo's time for being one of the very early places to adopt humanist teachings. Ooh. This revival in uh, the an interest in classical learnings from ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So both brothers went there in their younger days, where so they got a good introduction to to humanist teachings. And then, mm-hmm. as they got older, they had a tutor called Roberto de Rossi, who was one of the very early humanists in Florence, one of the leading scholars of the day, wealthy patrician, mm-hmm. never married, avoided public office his entire life, even though he came wow. from an old oligarchy family, so he could devote his life to books and studies. Um, he had a house uh, in the uh, Ortorano district of Florence. And, uh, you know, he I think the, the first uh, guy who could uh, teach ancient Greek in Florence, um, Rossi was a student of his. He then went on himself to do translations of Aristotle and other Greek writers into Latin. But he's most famous for being the tutor of Cosimo de' Medici. He was Aristotle to Cosimo's Alexander the Great. Right. And de Rossi had friends like Leonardo Bruni and Nicolai, um, who also became friends of Cosimo, part of his inner circle. We're going to talk a lot more about them over later episodes, because these were some of the leading humanist thinkers in Florence of the time. Uh, and so Cosimo, out of the gate, is being brought up as a humanist thinker. 
I wanted to ask you real quick, what, what do you think, um, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but what do you think of Giovanni, who seems to be conservative in almost everything else in his life, picking that place for his sons? Because he had to know about the school, about its reputation. The fact that he chose that, was that just a chance to rub elbows with other rich kids who might be future leading lights of the city? Or do you think his father had something more uh, intentional by selecting that school? Yeah, it's a fascinating question, isn't it? Obviously, um, Papa Joe, both in terms of sending him to the school and hiring uh, Roberto de Rossi as their tutor, Mm -hmm. It was very deliberate. He's very deliberately setting the boys up for the future, not Mm. attaching them to the past. He obviously gets a sense that things are changing. Now, this is, as far as I know, like before he has a relationship with uh, Brunelleschi, I didn't read anything in the notes about him being – uh, uh, close to guys like uh, Petrarch or um, uh, 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 Boccaccio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't remember his name there. I just kept thinking Bukaki, Bukaki, <laughs> Boccaccio. <laughs> Too many names. Yeah. Yeah. And- um, yeah. So yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't, uh, as far as I know, close to those guys. But he must have been some sort it must have been influenced by them uh somehow and and, and come to the realization right. that that was the future and not only did he want to give his kids this incredible wealth and and leave them with some position of political power but set them up for the future now a lot of the elite a lot of the old oligarchy were v- traditionalists right they were very much connected to the church and religion and all of that kind of stuff, even though, of course, Florence in and of itself is kind of a modern city. They're a republic. They're keeping their arm's length from the kings and the papacy. We think we're going to do our own thing. Thanks very much. Over there. We'll be be friends, uh, frenemies Mm -hmm. with everyone. (laughs) So Florence has got a long tradition at this stage of... uh, of being a modern city and, mm. I, you know, Papa Joe obviously sees humanism as the modern way of thinking that hasn't really hit its peak yet, but it's coming and he's making sure his boys are grounded in that. So he's mm. very progressive, Papa Joe. He's playing the long game in almost every aspect of his life. Yeah, man. Even his, like, even it, his it would be like It'd be like... Uh, some rich person today sending their kids to school to learn. Listen, well, I'm not going to send you a traditional school. You're just going to go and learn cryptocurrency and coding, right. man. Because really, Chinese. that's all that's going to matter 10 years right. ago. Yeah, Chinese. Right. That's right, <laughs> right. yeah. No, ca- Cantonese, not Mandarin. No one's Cantonese. Okay. Cantonese um, and and coding and cryptocurrency, man. And, and you know, yeah. here's some uh, virtual reality fine. goggles. That's all you're going right. to yeah. <laughs> You're going to be good. Yeah. And, yeah, and scuba diving because the world's going to be underwater by the time you're 20. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, very progressive, and you've got to really hand it to him. Now, Ray, yeah. uh, a bit of a warning. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't warned you on this, but I'm going to talk a lot over the next uh, – the rest of this episode about uh-huh. uh, uh, sort of educational systems uh, and, and the – what was going on in the Middle Ages and into the early Renaissance, uh, just to 
I forgot to cool. warn you. No. I apologize. I, I, I wish you had warned me. I would have brought popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, just play with yourself like you normally do. Okay. That is your popcorn. Just zip, right. it, zip it goes down. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready. Now, you know, we know, uh, we've talked about this before, but it's worth covering again. So much of this ancient learning, the works of the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, had disappeared from Europe during the Dark Ages. And they were preserved in a number of different spots, some in Ireland, which we'll get to at some point, but mostly in the Middle East by Islamic scholars. Because Islam in this period uh, encouraged philosophical and scientific knowledge because they believed that that brought you closer to the mind of God. As opposed to the Catholic Church about don't study, don't learn, just believe and accept everything we say. The exact opposite. Yeah, well, I wouldn't wouldn't depict the Catholics as that exactly. You know, they were open to study and research of a certain kind in a certain way, but extremely, yeah, extremely limited. Whereas the the Muslims were like, yeah, no, listen, it's all good. God wants us Mm -hmm. to learn. God wants us to understand. He created the universe for us. So it's our job to study and learn. So, you know, get up every day and thank the many gods for uh, the the Muslims. Now, these works, uh, the ancient Greek works that the Muslims, you know, because the Muslims were off conquering the Byzantine Empire. Um, Byzantines had copies of these. The Greek, the Muslims were like, thanks very much. We'll have that. Let's translate <laughs> it into our own language. Right. Um, some of them could speak ancient Greek, but there are a lot of translations. They spread across the Islamic Empire as the empire grew. I mean, you know, by the eighth century, uh, you know, when was Muhammad? Like the late six hundreds. Um, by the eighth century, the the empire had already spread through the Iberian Peninsula, so Spain, southern France, and Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the the they took this ancient Greek and ancient Latin teachings with them. Now, when the Crusades happened, particularly sort of by the twelve hundreds, the Greek the great Arabic centers of learning in places like Cordoba and Seville in southern Spain were taken by the Christians, retaken by the Christians, and they started to rediscover a lot of these uh, works that, 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 right. that they'd completely forgotten existed. Um, and so they took a lot of those back to Europe. Like, you know, I always say there's the great honor of this. So the Christians went and conquered... <laughs> These these places where right. some of their people discovered these works, which they brought back and used this to basically undermine Christianity. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the great irony of God, the Crusades. God works in mysterious the, the, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was blowback that they never anticipated. Right. right. Oops. Kind of, kind of, kind of like the Americans going and <clears throat> going to Afghanistan in the eighties. And saying, oh, Mujahideen, you look like a bunch of young, bright chaps. <laughs> you know, here's, here's rocket here's launchers. Well, you, want to learn how to, yeah. you want to learn how to fly a jet into a building? Sure, why not? Hey, build a bomb? Yeah, absolutely. We'll teach you how to do that. Well, you, want to, you want to build IEDs? Yeah, we can show you how to do that. No problem. Yeah. Great. Easy. Got a class on it. Uh, blowback, man. Yeah. So anyway, this, uh, as, the, as these books were brought back to Europe, a new attitude of learning slowly began to spread across Europe. Obviously, didn't happen overnight. It took centuries. Right. 
But it did happen. Didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. It's a bit like mm-hmm. whatever that fucking ad used to be for, I don't know, shampoo or something. Mm. Um, maybe it was just in Australia. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. You know, uh, I think uh, I think that's uh, Australia. Uh, I guess. Okay. Uh. Okay. Now, the, the, this new approach to education happened at the expense of scholasticism. Ooh. Uh, do you understand scholasticism and and the role that it played in education? I'm going to go with no and ask you to explain it to I, me. Great, because I didn't understand it, and I've you know every time it pops up in books over the years, I've always been like, what, what is that? Yeah, because um, to me, scholastics is just schooling. So you go, oh, school right. is, comes from the word scholastics, right? But no, scholasticism was a particular method of learning that was really big in the Middle Ages. Mm. Uh, and it was based on the idea of dialectical reasoning, argumentation, basically. Right. Okay. It was based on a particular subset of Aristotle because, you know, they, they kept Aristotle. There some Aristotle, the Christians uh, right. had maintained over the centuries. And they, they kind of liked Aristotle. They liked a bit of Aristotle. They liked a bit of Plato. They kept uh, some of their writings around. They thought these guys were kind of on the right track. They, they were able to adopt some of Aristotle's writings and some of Plato. Basically what happened is in the early centuries of Christianity, when these writings were still around, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, a, a couple of you know leading Christian theologians like, like Augustine were able to take these works, selected works of Aristotle and Plato, and say, yeah, well, look, Christianity is not completely dumb because you could maybe, you know, when Aristotle says this or Plato says that, you know, that's kind of similar to what we're saying here, what Paul said oh, or what right. uh, this early church father said. Because, as we know, for those first couple of centuries, three centuries, four really, um, after Christianity was created, there were leading Roman philosophers and scholars saying Christianity is bullshit, it's ridiculous. And Jewish scholars right. were saying it as well. It's, it's nonsense, it's ridiculous, it's a bunch of fantasies and superstitions and it doesn't make any sense. And so Christian theologians like Augustine, would say, well, that's a bit unfair. Look, Aristotle (laughs) says this, and that's kind like we, you know, kind of similar to what we're saying, and Plato saying that. Right. So those those particular writings from Aristotle and Plato were kept by Christians as sort of a defense mechanism. But Mm. then a thousand years later, they're they're trying to uh, integrate those things because into the current system of Christian theology, because Christian theology evolved and morphed over time, as I've talked about at length on this series, you know, these debates about the nature of Christ and the nature of God and the Holy Spirit and all this kind of nonsense went on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, even even after it was the state religion. They were still fucking debating this endlessly. Um, So if... But if you've to get back to dialectical reasoning, if you've read Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologica, and God help you if you have, because <laughs> it's one of the most annoying books ever written, but you'll you'll get a sense for what I'm talking about. It, you know, basically, um, 
they're trying to bring together classical philosophy with the teachings of Christian theology and reconcile Christian theology with these mm. classical authors. Right. So the, the dialectical reasoning, uh, scholasticism, usually took this form. You'd start with a question that you wanted to talk about. So, for example, it is asked whether there is a spoon. And then you provide one answer to the question. Ray says yep. there is a spoon because he's simple-minded. Then you'd support that position by saying, and indeed, it appears that there is a spoon. I'm currently using it to eat a tub of salted peanut butter ice cream. Yeah, it's in my hand. I can feel it. Mm. Um, it's, it's working. It's scooping it up. Um, I'm rubbing a little bit on my genitals and then <laughs> just to get some extra flavor and then putting it in my mouth. Why waste ice cream just by eating it if you don't rub it that's, over yourself first? That's the proper way. But then, yeah. Yeah. then you'd provide a list of contrary arguments. However, Nero says there is no spoon, that there are only atoms providing the appearance of a spoon to our senses. Mm-hmm. And then Cam says, well, it's not even really atoms. There's just the Higgs boson field and the gravitational field, which are providing the appearance of atoms, and really right. all that exists is big energy field and everything uh, uh, is appearing inside of that. There is only one field, one universe. It is all the one. Right. Um, so then you would, you would review all of the arguments that, that have ever been written down, and then you would state your position, and your job was to then synthesize all of the various arguments. But I say to you that there is both a spoon and not a spoon. Let me explain. And then you would explain how you synthesize all these arguments. To Neo, I say, while he is right and there is no spoon, the appearance of a spoon to our senses is really all that matters. So Neo can go fuck himself with that reductio ad absurdum. I'm going to keep eating my peanut butter ice cream. Fuck you. Right. Uh, But yes, listen. If I'm like this is it's actually the, the conversations that I get. This is what it's basically what um, like when I had Richard Carrier on uh, to talk about free will mm-hmm. a while back. You know this uh, the the people who position themselves as uh, what I call free will light. They go well, yeah, obviously <laughs> the brain is subject to the laws of physics, so there is no freedom in the laws of physics. So free will doesn't exist, right? Yes, get it, but. We appear to have free will, and that's the only thing that matters. And I'm like, well, no, mm. that's not the only thing that matters. What matters is what's really fucking there or not fucking there. So right. let's talk about what's really. There. So that's that's kind of, of you know what scholasticism was all about. And if you read Summa Theologica, which I have attempted to read several times, um, it's very hard work. It's annoying right. as all cumbersome. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the worst. Anyway. <laughs> That's what scholasticism about. Now, it's it's brilliant in a way, though, because uh, it's very, very detailed assessment of all of the different arguments and then trying to use logic and reasoning to bring those together and try and find some common ground. The problem with scholasticism, though, was nobody ever said, hey, let's go get a fucking spoon and then study it and then decide whether or not it exists. Right, right. Let's let's subject it to to scientific inquiry. Uh, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's actually you know, you know study it and 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 figure out for ourselves whether or not 
the evidence supports hypothesis A or hypothesis B or maybe there's some other hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So what these guys and some women were doing was arguing over contradictions in existing texts, not really determining their own sources oh, of data. Right, okay. They were looking at what had been written before and debating those rather than saying, okay, well, that's a good starting point for a direct scientific inquiry, not uh, just debating what had been talked about. But it it was incredibly important to future science because it established the discipline of making unemotional, reasoned, logical arguments, which is a big part of scientific method, right? Right, right. And the original universities were established around scholasticism. That's what you learnt to do at a university is you learnt to break down all of these arguments and come up with new arguments, mm-hmm. well, well, a synthesised version of those arguments, really. But when they conquered these Muslim cities, they found works by Aristotle. They were like, oh, great, more, more Aristotle. <laughs> then they read Aristotle. Good. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it actually undermined his other works. <laughs> So in some of his works, he'd go, well, it looks like there is a spoon. And then they get this other work and he goes, well, you know what? Actually, now that I've actually (laughs) studied the science of it, it looks like there isn't a spoon. They're going, oh, what? (laughs) Aristotle changed his mind. Yeah. We based so much on this, on the first one. Yeah. For a thousand years, we based everything (laughs) on Aristotle's plan that there was a spoon. It wasn't just Aristotle, of course. It was other ancient Greek and Roman authors. And, and as they read these, what they realized was was emphasized by these authors that they already, you know, thought of them as brilliant. They thought of Aristotle and Plato as as esteemed figures, like they're up there in the hierarchy of brilliant things. And it was just an accident of history that they were born before Jesus. So they were uh. like they always they, they thought, look, if these guys had been born after Jesus, they would have been oh, Jesus is the best. <laughs> Um, they obviously were brilliant. But then they discovered their other works and they're like, oh, shit, well, they're actually emphasising freedom of thought and and the humanity of humankind rather than its spirituality. And so on one hand, they say that these guys are brilliant. On the other hand, they're going, okay, well, they've taken all this 1,000 years ago or 1,400, older, like Aristotle, you know, was Alexander's tutor, so 300s BCE. Mm-hmm. And uh, Plato was uh, of the similar era. They'd both kind of come out of Socrates, I think, from memory. Uh, or was Aristotle a student of Plato's? Maybe he was a student of Plato's. One, uh, either way, yeah, I think he right. was. I think it went Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Right. Anyway, um, can't remember from our old Alexander days, but something like that. So um, this new kind of thinking started to take hold in some schools across Europe and the Medici boys went to one of those schools. My God. I I have to imagine that on some level, in some areas, and in some ways, the church or parts of the church had to to feel threatened or is that going too far with this? We need to, we need to just focus on, humanity or humankind we need to renew our search we need to be free to think and just follow what the where the facts take us i mean was was the church freaking out or is that or did it happen so subtly maybe they didn't freak out well i think the the official church position was this is mostly nonsense but there were people inside of the church including high ranking people 
that were on board mm-hmm. with this. The, you know, you, you've always ah. got your more progressive people. Like you've got your Pope Frank at the moment, right? A little bit more progressive than his predecessors. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, guys, don't mind the guys. Yeah. Uh, um, get, getting thirteen-year-old choir boys to give you blowjobs? No, that's not right. <laughs> no, you know, I know that we've we've tolerated. I know it now for that that's wrong. Thousand years, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that's what he should be saying. Anyway, yeah. Uh, he's a little bit. You, you always have little. You, know, you always have your people that are a little bit more progressive, gotcha. but generally speaking, the church was against this uh, kind of stuff, okay. um, as we will see as time progresses. Papa Joe, um, you know, he's not raised in a humanist tradition, but he is making sure that his kids are, and he only takes an interest in art towards the end of his life, with mostly commissioning of, of buildings, um, and I think also, I think we said in an earlier episode, an early sculpture of St. John the Baptist by Ghiberti and some early stuff maybe of Donatello, some commissions. He's on panels that are commissioning stuff. But Cosi, Cosimo, Cosmo right. Kramer, he's into it from day one. He's, he's out immersed. of the gates. Yeah, I'm a humanist. I'm rich. I'm into art. I'm into poetry. Baby, yeah. the Renaissance has arrived. <laughs> In the form of me, yeah. So like you said, so Giovanni was from the previous generation, but he knew enough to make sure his kids were uh, born the right way. And like we said in an earlier episode, um, there must have been something to Cosimo that impressed his father. Because to let a 25-year-old go with John the Twenty-Third to that conference where it, it had to be ugly for somebody. It, it couldn't just be nice and clean. I mean, that, that just shows a lot of confidence in your, you know, in your son that I don't think most 25-year-olds could have handled. Not, not that Cosimo did well because John did slip away in the night dressed as an archer, but still, you know, he, he, had, he did come home to his father and report dutifully about everything that had happened. Yeah, he did. Now, um, he's a humanist, Cosimo, um, mm-hmm. and, but he's not, like, he's, he's not as learned as many other humanists in his circle. Mm. But there were there there weren't many Florentine humanists that had a wider knowledge of classical manuscripts than Cosi did. He began collecting them at an early age. You know, you're a rich kid. Some yeah. rich kids collect Ferraris. Others collect <laughs> venereal diseases. Um, others collect uh, first editions of superhero comics. Right. He collected classical <laughs> manuscripts from a very early age. Because, again, he's growing up with other kids that are going to these humanist schools and other kids attending lectures by Roberto de Rossi. And uh, he's obviously he's, there's a certain, he's not going to be a scholar. He's a banker. Right. He knows yeah. that. Yeah. He's got a humanist education, but he can't afford to be an academic or a scholar, even though he might want to be. But he's got a ton of money, yeah. as we'll see yeah. early on. Um, he's saying to his friends, well, how do we further our humanist education? They go, you know what we should do is we should go and get all of the, you know, we, we should go and rescue all of these old texts that we can, scatter across Europe and find them wherever they might be hiding. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll bankroll it for you. You go do I don't have time to do it. You go do it. Yeah. I'll bankroll it. Um, come back. You know, we'll get copies made. You can have a copy. I'll have the original in my library. You can yep. have a copy. Other people have copies. And so he was he was the patron of guys going out and collecting these. But he 
really got into this. He 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 understood yeah. the manuscripts. What do we got? What are we missing? What do we need to find? Where are they hiding? He's like he's he's Detective Cosmo in here, <laughs> hunting down classical manuscripts across Europe. Not personally, because right. he's busy. He's a banker. Yeah. He's, he's going to the Council of Constance and doing all this kind of stuff. But he's 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 the brains and the money. Well, uh, the money behind it. Maybe not the brains, right. but he's certainly the money behind it. So he's never. He never becomes a master in any of the humanist arts. He painted, he wrote poetry, yeah. but he was—he never had the time to become a professional. Sure. But he also never questioned the right of those who did master them to be some of the most honoured people in Florentine society. He supported them, he funded them, he commissioned works, he backed them. He really is you know, one of the key guys that says, you know what? No, these these painters, these poets, these sculptors, they yeah. are the the new people. We they're they're the new celebrities, not your rich, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, traders, not your yeah. rich merchants. War merchants. It's the whatever. artists. Yeah, the exactly. artists, the academics. Yeah. These are the people we should be celebrating as a city. Now, and growing up with a lot of them, right, um, they, they might be a bit older or a bit younger, but generally they're, they're coming out of the same generation. Now, yeah. he's different, very different from Papa Joe um, like this, but he's very similar to Papa Joe. Like he does take on Papa Joe's deathbed advice. Like he's he tries never to be too flashy, mm-hmm. keep out of the public eye, uh, be humble, Rarely seen to be walking through the streets, and again, like his papa, when he did, he only had a single servant. Now, I personally never go shopping without <laughs> at least five servants. Is um, Fox one of them? One? No, I uh, no? can't trust Fox. To okay. the <laughs> I have it breaks down like this. I have one to carry my bags. Oh, sure, sure. One to carry me if I eat or drink too much, which you know I'm going to when I go out in the town. One to whisper in my ear. You're the best, Jerry. The best. <laughs> one to remind that guy that my name isn't Jerry, and one to score my drugs. There, that's uh, basically my... the jobs that these people are. Jo- drugs and hookers, because I, I don't have time to do that myself. But Cosmo only took one. Quietly, right. he's always quiet. Yeah, quietly dressed. Um, always gave up the wall to older citizens when he's passing right. them. No, no, really, after you, I'll walk on the muddy, yeah. shit-lined streets. Yeah. You, 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 please take the prime position. Or, yeah. Always showing the, the utmost deference to magistrates, didn't participate in jousting trials or any of that nonsense, mm. which Good. the sons of other rich families did. They were always, oh. you know, driving around in their Ferraris and they had, uh, <laughs> you know, the high r- rises on their wheels, low rider. Right. Low rider. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're, they're walking around dressed in their Armani with their Gucci bags and, you know, he's oh. like, you know, fuck all no, that shit. He's, he's yeah. simple. Simple. Because yeah. he's a banker. And also yep. because he knew that in order for the Medici to survive right. the violent political landscape in Florence, as his papa told him, they have to keep their heads low at least until they're ready to strike. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. as we'll see, 
was on the horizon in the not-too-distant future. But until that time, he had to play his cards close to his chest. And, and, and to, to be that young and to take advice from your father, it doesn't matter that it's good or bad advice, and this is great advice, but you know, most 20-year-olds, Dad, I know, and, and we're approaching 30 or whatever, Dad, yeah, fuck you, I know what I'm doing. You're, you know, your dad's gone or whatever, and you've suddenly got all the cash, or your dad's retired and you've got all the cash. He doesn't go willy-nilly crazy. He does adhere to his father, and he just like his father. Maybe he's probably hoping he doesn't have to wait 40 or 50 years to play this part, but he is biding his time, and like you said, this has been a long time coming, but the Medici are about the Medici are about to make themselves known. You know, when you when you grow up in a violent political landscape like Florence, mm-hmm. with stories of generations of your family that have been taken down uh, in various yeah. coups, it pays to be good point. It pays to be paranoid. <laughs> Finished with my woman Cause she couldn't help me with my life People think I'm insane Because I am grounding all the time My hands have got sticky all over them. (laughs) I'm sure they do. There you go. That's for uh, that's for Cosmo. I just want to say real quick one. I'm I'm sorry that you had the peanut butter ice cream stuck stuck all over your hands. That it could have been a more smoother performance. But if everybody could go to our website right now and make a small donation to help pay for the royalty fees for that, it would be greatly appreciated. I don't know if I play it, uh, I think we get oh, a pass you? on that. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I um no, I, I have a ball of plasticine. It's not ice cream. I I have a big ball of plasticine that I fiddle with while we talk and my hands are covered with plasticine sure let's go with that do you, do okay. you know what plasticine is do you call it plasticine over there i've heard the word what, what is it is it like a stress ball or play-doh or i don't know it's uh like play-doh but not um kind of modeling clay okay Looking to see hmm. what do you call it in America? Uh, I mean, I've well, heard of plasticine, so it's I sort of a British thing. Had to find yeah. it before. Okay, mm. you know, Play-Doh is based on flour and salt and water. Plasticine is made out of petroleum jelly. Mm. Anyway, it's it's kind of a uh, 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 little bit, little bit sort of slimy. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So my hands are covered in plasticine. Not that I sure. can play fucking guitar anyway. I, I suck, but yeah, I'm just saying. It's honest. It's you you were a rock star, but now you've moved up to podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's paranoid, and for good reason. Now, yeah. 
After he escaped from the Council of Constance, you mentioned before uh, he went straight to Florence. Some sources, some contemporary sources say he did that. Others say that he didn't, that he spent a few years traveling around Northern Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, visiting all of the Medici operations in places like Geneva, Lyon, Avignon, setting up a branch in Bruges. Right. Uh, maybe he did both, though. Maybe he went to Florence, reported yeah. back to Papa Joe, uh, and then fucked off went to travel around Went Europe. on a tour. Well, I, w- I would think that the thing with John the Twenty Third was such a fuck up. How could he not? I mean, this is just my take on it. How could he not go home and go, Dad? I just want. I just need to tell you before you find out from anybody else, you know, exactly what happened. But that's just my take on it. So either he went on a tour or he went home, talked to Daddy, and then goes on a tour. But you're right. So he is going to go to the various places. Some places they have branches. Some places they just have correspondence. People that are uh, there to just observe and report back to them. But, yeah, so and like you were saying earlier, they they I don't think they have any branches outside of Italy yet, but they are examining other countries and they are seeking out what their potential could be. Because like you said, they got a ton of cash. It's time to use some of that and expand. But he was certainly in Florence in 1416 because he married the niece of his father's partner. Uh, her name was Contessina de Bardi. Now, Contesina was both her, not Contesina, it's Contesina. He called her Contesina all the time. (laughs) Little Cunty, he called her. It was her sex name. It it was her name and her title, Little Countess, daughter of Ah, the Countess. She was Contesina, Little Cunty, he called her. (laughs) Uh, Now, her marriage marriage was arranged by her father, of course, uh, and his father, but it was a big step. For the family. The Bardi were one of the old banking families that had been ruined in the big banking collapse in the 1340s. Ah. Uh, the Bardi had been uh, Papa Joe's partners. I mean, they had a lot of credibility, even if they didn't have a, have a lot of mm-hmm. money when Papa Joe started his own bank. And uh, after he dies, as I said earlier, the Bardi family are still involved when Cosimo and Lorenzo go off but but now they're marrying into this old oligarchy family for the first mm-hmm. time so it's a big deal for the medici they finally made it to where they're being married off to old oligarchy uh which as we know means a lot in those days yeah. now i just uh, want yeah little cunty didn't have much of a dowry were you going to talk <laughs> about her dowry or we're going to no, wrap no, this no, up I, yeah yeah that's why i just wanted to say real quick that the bardi family as far as i could tell got their, for lack of no, a better word, nobility back in 1164. The Emperor Friedrich Barbarossa himself relinquished Whoa. a county to them that was 19 miles northwest of Florence uh, to the Count Alberto with the right to confer, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> with the right to confer the noble title on his descendants. So the Bardi, I mean, they got theirs from Barbarossa himself. And like you said, they were very established, very aristocratic family. So this is a great move for the Medici. Ba 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 Barbarossa. Ba 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 Now, she didn't have much of a dowry, uh, just an old and slightly run down palace. 
I hate that when you marry someone and all she's got is an old palace. Um, It's a palace, but it's run down. The the Palazzo Bardi, which stood on the south bank of the River Arno in Florence, they used to own Mm. all of the houses on that street. I think it was called the Via Bardi because uh, they owned the whole street, but now all they've got is the one little palazzo. And as soon as they got married... Cosimo started renovating it, had the Medici insignia, the shield with the balls on the outside. By the way, it's still Mm -hmm. there. It's now a very swanky apartment building. Um, I read up on it. Some rich motherfuckers got it and renovated it and turned it into a (laughs) handful of apartments uh, a few years ago. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like multi, multi multi-million dollar apartments, man. Um, uh, I'm going to try and convince Tony Kynaston to buy one, and that just you know we'll just timeshare. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll timeshare it when we go over there. Um, <laughs> Good luck. Now, as soon as he got married, though, Cosy was away, so it might have been he got married and then he went off on that three-year inspection of right. the uh, branches. At some point, he also went to Rome for a couple of years. He was made the permanent manager of the Rome branch. He left her at home. She, she, by this stage, she was uh, pregnant, gave birth to their first son, Piero. Right. Uh, very, very quickly. I believe that when he got married, somebody said, um, he, you know, may you, may you have a happy uh, 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 wedding night with your virgin bride and may your first child be a masculine <laughs> child. And it was. It was. And so that worked, worked yeah. out. Um <laughs> But as soon as he's, you know, she's knocked up, he's like, right, my job's done here and he's yeah, gone for a couple right. of years because that's the way he did it. That's the way it works, right? She she was there to, you know, be the mother of his children and right. raise the children and that's pretty much it. He's off. He's off doing yeah. work. He's gone for years at a time. Doesn't matter. She doesn't seem to have cared. She was happy. Uh, she had what she wanted. She's described as right. being sort of fat, fat and happy. Is how she's described in the right. sources. A very, very plump woman, liked her food, liked being a mother, right. liked running a household, probably happy to be in the money again, quite frankly. Yes. I mean, I'm yes. sure the Bardi did reasonably okay out of yeah. the Medici Bank with Papa him. Joe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, straight yeah, from, up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, not, not, not straight up, like gay up. <laughs> <laughs> Ass up is how you would have found Whatever. Um, However... I get paid. But yeah. um, while he's in Rome, uh-huh. Cosy gets himself a hot, sexy servant <laughs> called Madalena. That right? He uh, that's who keeps his bed warm at night is Madalena. <laughs> um, yeah, and she gives birth to one of his children. Ooh. But time's up. We'll have to talk about the role of Madalena and her offspring mm. in the next episode of the Renaissance Podcast when, I have to tell you, things uh, start to go bad for Cozzy. Doesn't have yeah. a, Things start to get a bit... Uh, bit dicey. Tricky. Yeah. A bit yeah. dicey in yeah. Florence for the yeah. Medici in the next episodes. Looking like it's going so well, mm. then it goes pretty bad for a little <laughs> while. But anyway, that'll be next time. Thank you, Ray. Thank you.